Hi, this is Dr. Russ Kennedy, and welcome to the Anxiety Rx podcast, where we talk about everything new in healing anxiety. So stay with us. Hey, thanks for joining me. I had a bunch of coffee before I recorded this episode, so I speak a bit fast. So I'm just going to give you a little heads up right off the bat. I think it's got some really good information. I was going to do it again, but I'm just going to leave it and just know that I've kind of got the speed thing going there. So if there's any way of turning it down a notch, that might help you as well. But anyway, thanks again for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And here's the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Rx podcast. I am your host, Dr. Russ Kennedy. I am the Anxiety MD because I am an MD who struggled with anxiety for many, many, many years. And I don't want you to have to struggle with anxiety the way that I did. So today I want to talk about why your doctor can't really help you heal anxiety. And I'm a medical doctor and I recognize the limitations that medical doctors have. We're trained in a very pharmaceutically based environment. And I'm not slagging medical doctors. I am a medical doctor. I prescribed thousands of medications, thousands of prescriptions for psychiatric medications. And they had their place. They're life-saving in some cases, absolutely. And quality of life-saving too. It's just that they don't heal the underlying cause. Out of maybe 40 million prescriptions for anxiety, none have ever healed anxiety. They all just mask the symptoms. So there's a lot of people taking medication and I'm not in any way stigmatizing or slamming people to take medication. I think if you if you need it, and I've taken it, geez, uh, I was on SSRI, SSNI medications for 25 years off and on, but uh, until I got off them. By using my own methods of that I talk about in the book. So I'm not slagging medical doctors. Medical doctors are trained in this sort of reductionist model where everything can be classified as a reductionist cause. You know, if you have asthma, it's hyperreactive airways. You know, if you have renal disease, kidney disease, it's, it's, there's a number of different specific diagnoses for that. But mental illness is different. Mental illness is the hardest, you know, kind of illness to satisfy this reductionist model because you can't, you can't define it down to something. If you have asthma, you know, you can look into the lungs with a bronchoscope and you can see that there's reactive airways in there. You can actually see it. And when, when you give someone a Ventolin or Salbutamol or, or one of the bronchodilators, one of the things that opens up your airways you can see that that actually opens up the airways and people breathe easier. So it's easy to reduce the cause of asthma to these reactive airways that squeeze down. But we don't have that with mental illness. The brain is such a complicated, complicated system of wires and body interactions that we can't reduce mental illness down to, here's, here's anxiety in the brain, here's schizophrenia in the brain, you know, here's ODD, oppositional defiant disorder in the brain. We can't do that. It's a very, very complicated, the, the human brain is probably the most complicated entity on the face of this earth. And I remember doing a show with Emo Phillips, who's a fairly famous comedian, and he, he had a very funny delivery because he used to say things like, the brain is the most magical entity on the face of the earth. 
And then I realized it was my brain that was telling me this. So medical doctors are trained in a pharmaceutical model. You know, once, once we see something, we try and reduce it into something that we can give a medication for. So one of the little colloquial, colloquialisms that we use in that is when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So doctors, generally medical doctors, are pharmaceutical hammers. We're trained in this pharmaceutical model. We're trained in a model to reduce symptoms. We don't actually, a lot of the times, fix the underlying cause. You know, unless it's a you know, bladder infection or something where we give you antibiotics and that fix, fixes the underlying cause. But for chronic, chronic diseases, the medications basically just control the symptoms. Which, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that if we can get at the root cause, which is what I try and talk about with anxiety, getting at the root cause, which is this old trauma stored in the body as the root cause of our alarm and anxiety, then we can get somewhere. Then we actually fix the root cause as opposed to just using pharmaceuticals to cover up the symptoms. And when you look at asthma, you know, you give someone a, a bronchodilator, a puffer, and they take something and it, and it re- resolves the symptoms right away. And it's fairly clean. It acts at that specific level. It has some effects through the body, of course, but it's, it's very specific to that part of the lungs, especially when you breathe it in directly. But with pharmaceutical medications, they kind of affect the entire system. You know, they kind of, I've had lots of people who are on antidepressants and they say, you know what, I don't feel depressed anymore and I don't feel as anxious anymore but I don't feel much of anything. And, you know, a lot of times they report, you know, sweating and, and funny zaps in their head and stuff. And, and sexual dysfunction is a big deal with the, the antidepressant medication. So if you didn't think you were depressed before you were on, on antidepressants and now you can't have an orgasm, now you're really depressed. So... The drugs are kind of dirty that we give. It's kind of a colloquial term for it. I got colloquial right that time. Didn't screw it up. Um, they're kind of dirty drugs. They, they kind of affect the body globally and hopefully kind of calm down that hyperreactive part of our system. So, you know, the first limitation of medical doctors is they're trained in this reductionist model believing that mental illness is a chemical imbalance that can be fixed with other chemicals. And that's kind of how we're trained. We're trying to move away from that a little bit. I think that the evidence is starting to show us that that's not the case, but there's still the old model that wants to keep us locked in that idea that we can fix a chemical issue with a chemical solution. So that doesn't work, clearly. Out of all the 40 million people who have taken... Uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, it's cured, the medication has cured no one. It's basically just covered up the symptoms. So the next big issue with medical doctors is they're not trauma-informed. And I don't really like that term, trauma-informed. I don't know what it is I don't like about it, but I just really don't like that term. It just, I don't know, I, I don't know. But personally, I prefer, and this is my own term, ACE-aware. And ACE was a study done in, by Kaiser Permanente, in the United States in 1997 that took 57,000 people and said, hey, what happened in your childhood? And they would have things like, you know, were you abused? Were you not listened to? Were you not taken care of? That kind of thing. And then they would give you a score based on the number of things you answered positively to. So the higher your ACE score, 
the more likely you are to get mental and physical illness as you get older. So that's, I like that term ACE aware. So if your doctor is ACE aware, aware of the study, because at a fairly recent conference, and I can't remember exactly where I heard this, but you know, only 40% of the doctors in the room, and I think Gabor Mate talked about this, talking about when he was talking to a group of people from Kaiser Permanente, he was addressing them in a talk, and he asked them how many were aware, and he said only about 40% of the people in the actual organization that did the study were aware of it. So, you know, it's not really well known. And so much of childhood trauma is what causes mental illness. That's really what causes it. So if we're going to heal it, that's what we have to address. We can't just keep giving people medications. And again, I'm not against medication. I think medication is life-saving. I think we need it for sure. I just think it's really overprescribed because doctors aren't equipped to give psychotherapy, for one, and they're biased towards giving medication, for two, and they plain just don't have the time to do psychotherapy. You know, when I was a medical doctor, and I have this kind of, I don't know, intuitive ability, I can see things in people, I can see if they were traumatized, I can see, you know, if their brother or sister abused them or something like that. I have this, I don't know where it comes from, I don't know how to explain it. And if you've listened to my clubhouse rooms, you'll know I do a lot of my work intuitively. So I understand what's happening with these people. And in 15 minutes, I can't, you know, go into someone's abuse, someone who is like physically or mentally or sexually abused as a child. I don't have 15 minutes. That's not going to touch anything. In fact, that's probably going to re-traumatize people. So again, medical doctors only have this limited amount of time. We like to use medications, and we're not trained and aware of the real cause of trauma. So this is kind of like the perfect storm as to why medical doctors really aren't that great at treating mental illness. And even psychiatrists, if you look at psychiatrists, they don't do a lot of psychotherapy anymore. From Peter Levine's book, Peter Levine was the PhD who invented somatic experiencing therapy a therapy that I find phenomenally effective compared to just regular talk therapy. And he found that uh, when he looked back at the studies, back in 1996, 97 or so, about 44% of office-based psychiatrists did psychotherapy, like formal psychotherapy, an hour where you chat and you say, you lie on a couch or you sit face-to-face and you go, oh, this is what happened to me and I really didn't like it and, uh, you know, what are those drugs you have over there? Anyway... I'm getting off topic here. But only 44% of psychotherapist, office-based psychiatrists, rather, in 1996 did psychotherapy. Now, you go back, you go up to 2005, and now 29% are only doing psychotherapy. And I'm sure it's less than that now in 2021. So psychiatrists are moving more towards a pharmaceutical model as well and less to a psychotherapy model. So these are all reasons why medical doctors really aren't equipped to deal with mental illness in a lot of ways. And, and I've got to give psychiatrists a bit of a break here because you know they have the people that suffer the most and they're the most likely to need medications. So I'm not down on psychiatrists either. I'm not down on medical doctors either. I'm just saying that this is how it is in the medical world. We don't get a lot of training in ACEs, child, adverse childhood events. We get a lot of training in psychotherapy, absolutely. 
And I think that highlights the disconnect in medicine and mental illness. So we're leaning towards this pharmaceutical model that doesn't heal anybody. It basically just manages symptoms, and there's nothing wrong with managing symptoms at points. But your medical doctor has a bias towards prescriptions, and you don't have a certain amount of time to do therapy, and they're not trained in therapy. So when you go in to see your medical doctor, it's likely you're going to get a prescription. You know, don't go to the hardware store looking for peanut butter because you're not going to find it there. You know, trust trust the therapist. And, you know, I'm a big fan of somatic therapy. I'm also a big fan of CBT. I'm not against cognitive therapies at all. I think cognitive therapies are really helpful. And I think we need cognitive therapies to have a coherent narrative, what Dr. Dan Siegel calls a coherent narrative of our life, a story in our, our minds that explains what happened to us. But I think we re-traumatize a lot of people by going over that story over and over and over again. But the story is only part of it. The story of the body is actually a much deeper source of healing. So I'm not against CBT. I'm not against cognitive work at all. But I am against just doing cognitive work because I don't think it's going to ultimately heal you. I think you do need to get into some sort of body-based somatic work to be able to really uncover those unconscious programs because the body is the representation of the unconscious mind. So it's not surprising that when we search in the body, we can find some of these unconscious programs where a lot of these bases for our anxiety or alarm are held. So just going up into the thoughts will help on some levels, but unless you go at the root cause, which I believe is stored in the body with somatic therapy, you're not really going to get at the root cause if you just do thinking therapy. You need to do feeling body therapy as well. So it's really important from my perspective to see what is the underlying cause, which for me I believe is old childhood trauma that escapes the mind. It's too much for our child mind to bear. So we stuff that trauma down into our body and that body becomes this source of alarm. And that source of alarm is what creates these negative thoughts in our mind because our mind is just a meaning-making, make-sense machine. So if it feels this alarm that we've stored in our bodies for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that's the driver of the negative thoughts. And then the negative thoughts, of course, aggravate the alarm in the body, the alarm energy of the body. And that, of course, makes the thoughts worse. So you get into this alarm-anxiety cycle. That's what we really need to treat. We really need to go with the alarm in the body. And I have this little ABCs perspective that I write up in my book, um, Anxiety Rx, which is A for awareness. Be aware of that alarm in your body. Find it. Find out what it feels like for you. Find out what the emotional signature of that alarm is. For most people, it's around their chest somewhere. Some people, it's in their belly. Some people, it's in their throat. Usually, it's kind of in the midline of the body. And then, you know, put your hand over that alarm. Really address that alarm. Really connect with it because I do believe that that alarm is your younger self still frozen in that trauma, that old trauma. So the first thing is be aware. What, what does it feel like to be alarmed? What are your common anxious thoughts? For me, I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. So whenever I think I've got some sort of fatal disease, which is usually daily, I focus on that. And of course, that makes my alarm worse as well. So get used to what your normal negative thoughts are. Use that as a tell. Use the alarm feeling in your body as a tell. And then when you get that feeling, then go into your body. Go into your breath. 
get out of your head. Your thoughts are like the sirens on Siren Island. And there's this story I think I might have told in the podcast before about Ulysses and the Odyssey when he's on a ship and he's going by this island of these beautiful, beautiful women, these sirens that call to him, that sing to him, and they look so intoxicating that sailors run their ship aground or they swim to the sirens and the sirens turn into these horrible monsters and kill them. So not to bring you down too much on the old podcast, but, you know, that's the old story. So the sirens are kind of like our thoughts. They're, They're trying to suck us in to telling us that they have the solution to our problem, when really the thoughts, the anxious thoughts, just have more thoughts behind them. You can't fix anxiety, which is typically, you know, at its at its sort of essence, not at its core. Its core is the alarm of the body, but at its essence, this this repetitive, negative, worrisome thoughts of the mind. You can't fix those thoughts with more thoughts. But the mind will try and psych you into doing that. It'll try and suck you into thinking more when really you have to feel more. And that's what the second part is. So A is for awareness. Be aware of what the alarm feels like in your body. And then be aware of your calm and anxious thoughts of your mind and use that as a tell. It's like, okay, I'm aware this is happening. And then you move into your body and your breath. You know, you put your hand on your chest. You breathe into that alarm. You find it. You soothe it. Because I do believe that alarm is your younger self. It's your younger self asking for your attention. And it will get louder and louder and louder the more you stay in your thoughts because your thoughts aren't helping the alarm. And the C part is, so A is awareness of your feelings of alarm and your thoughts. B is getting into your body and your breath and getting into sensation, which pulls you out of your mind. When you pull yourself into sensation of the moment, you're in the moment. Because worries are always about the future, Trauma is always about what happens to you in your past. So if you can bring yourself into the moment, and sensation is a wonderful way of doing that, so that's why be, body, and breath. So awareness of your thoughts and your feeling of alarm. Go into your body and your breath to get away from those thoughts because you can't be thinking with more thinking. And then develop this compassionate connection with yourself. This is what I, I, you know, have a little bit of an issue with mindfulness. I think mindfulness is great, but I think it gets you on the doorstep of being present in the moment with your body. And then the next step is how can you create this compassionate connection to yourself? Because that's what's going to heal you. You know, a lot of times when we're younger, we start creating this sort of judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame of ourselves, especially if we have trauma in our childhood. There's trauma in your household. As a child, you are likely to blame yourself. And then from that point, it starts this sort of cascade of judging yourself, abandoning yourself, blaming yourself, and shaming yourself. And when you're stuck in those jabs, judgment, abandonment, blame, and shame, you can't get out of alarm. You can't get out of anxiety while you're still judging, abandoning, blaming, and shaming yourself. That's what the C part is. The C is being compassionate, creating a connection to yourself, creating a connection to that younger version of yourself that is the motor of the alarm. So I'm going to keep it reasonably short today. So I'm doing about a 20-minute episode here. So that's why medical doctors really aren't that effective at helping you understand because they don't really realize that alarm is the cause of your anxiety. It's not a mind-based thing. It's a mind-based reaction, but it's not a mind-based problem at its source. The source of your anxiety is this old alarm from unresolved traumas that you had typically as a child. So that's what we have to fix. There's nothing wrong with going to your doctor. But just realize when you go to your doctor, you're probably going to get a prescription. 
That's probably what they do because they don't have the time to be able to give you effective therapy. They don't know how to give effective therapy. And again, I'm not slagging doctors. This is just how we're trained. So you really need to look after your own best interest and find a way of healing. And I think somatic experiencing is a great way. I think to some extent psychedelics are making a an appearance on the scene, and I think for some people that's helpful, although I do suggest for people if they are asking me about should I do psychedelics, I always say do six months of somatic therapy first because that will give you the grounding to understand maybe the journey that you'll take on psychedelics if you even need it at that point. So that's the reason why I think medical doctors aren't going to heal you. They're not trained in psychotherapy, they're trained in giving you a medication, and they don't understand the root cause. So don't go looking for peanut butter in the hardware store. It's not going to help you, which is not to say don't go see your doctor because I think your doctor can help you uh, make sure your thyroid's good, make sure your hormones are okay, all that kind of thing. Like the baseline stuff for anxiety should be checked. But as far as healing you from anxiety, we're not good at it. Medical doctors who don't have specific trauma training don't really understand the root cause of anxiety, which is this old unresolved trauma in the body. If this has made sense to you, please consider getting my book, Anxiety Rx. It's available on Amazon. It's doing very well. It won the Nautilus Award in Psychology for 2020. And I get messages every day from people telling me that it's the best book they've ever read on anxiety. This is different. This is a very, very different approach of anxiety that you've ever, ever seen before. And if you've gone through different therapies, if you've gone through psychotherapy and, and perhaps like the EMDRs and the, and the cognitive behavior stuff, and it really hasn't helped you long term, I would really consider getting my book and reading through it slowly because it can be a bit triggering for some people. But it's really about your childhood wounding and how your mind is acting normally. Anxiety is a normal reaction to unresolved trauma. So I'd really consider getting my book, Anxiety Rx, and following me, following me on Instagram, which is at the Anxiety MD. And the Anxiety MD is pretty much my brand for everything. So you'll find my YouTube channel, you'll find my Instagram, you'll find my website. Everything is the Anxiety MD. So this is Dr. Russ Kennedy, the Anxiety MD. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you for listening. And don't believe everything you think. And I'll see you next time. Or hear you next time. I guess it's a podcast, so you're not really seeing me, but I guess I'm splitting hairs here. But I will see you next time. Don't believe everything you think. And I really don't want you to have to suffer with anxiety like I did. So please continue listening. And I'll see you next time. Hear you next time, whenever it is. Hey, it's Dr. Russ. Thanks for listening to this episode. And I hope you'll tune in the next time for the Anxiety Rx podcast.